Welcome to America the Bazaar. I'm your host, Jordan Rausch. And I'm Jeremy. And this is a weekly <laughs> podcast that deep dives into all the stories that made America into the beautiful weirdo she is today. Yes. This is a great, great podcast. If this is the first time you're tuning in, you're in for a doozy. <laughs> so... I hope everybody has a great Labor Day weekend coming up. We're planning on escaping to the mountains. Yes. No Wi-Fi, no cell phone service. Yes. So make sure you download us so you can listen if that's your plan as well. Yes. (laughs) (laughs) Because we all know some familiar voices in... (laughs) What are you trying to say? When you're scared because you think there's a bear outside your tent. It'd be nice if you could just play and listen to our soothing voices. Oh, or there's you think there's a bear outside your tent, just put us on if you think that will scare the bear away as well. Yeah, but I don't Either think way. it will. I think, I think the bear probably just want to chill out, maybe... Take uh, a seat, listen in. Yeah, partake in some campfire beverages and just listen. Just hang out. <laughs> So, this week's presidential trivia is, which president had a mockingbird named Dick? Uh, I have a guess. Okay, what's your guess? Well, Slick Dick. Well, it was not. (laughs) Oh, really? It was not Richard Nixon. All right. Dang it. So, that would be weird if he named a mockingbird after himself. No, it wouldn't. No, it's like, the irony is just so... Gotcha. Yeah. Okay. Dick. Well, it wasn't. Yeah. Well, it wasn't him. Okay. So the answer will be at the end of this episode. So stay tuned. So Jeremy, before we started uh, recording today, Jeremy asked if this was going to be a sad one, and I said yes. So buckle up. <laughs> yeah. William Henry Harrison was sworn in as President of the United States on March 4, 1841, and at the time was the oldest president to ever be elected at 68 years old. President Harrison refused... He wasn't our oldest? No. Reagan was older than him. Oh, really? And I believe Trump is now the oldest. (laughs) Yeah. President Hmm. Harrison refused to wear neither a coat or hat during his inaugural speech and died four weeks later from pneumonia. His vice president, John Tyler, was then sworn in and was the youngest president ever at the time to be inaugurated at 51 years old. Wasn't he like the, wasn't that like the first instance too of uh, like a president dying and then they were like, now what, right? Yep. So So this was the first time a president had ever died while in office. So there was a lot of confusion on what role he would actually take on. As vice president. Like whether he was just interim or... Right. Some felt that Tyler should just serve as an acting president until they could hold another election. Because they're like, hey, we didn't elect you as president. We elected you as vice president. So we're going to have like a special election and you're just going to be like an interim president. And Tyler was like, nah, I think I'm the president. So he moved into the White House and just started acting as president. So everybody just kind of let him. Yeah. So... (laughs) 
Uh, Which it, it's been, it's now it's since then been amended, right? Yeah, so it wasn't until the 25th Amendment that was ratified in 1967 yeah. that the Constitution said that a vice president becomes president if a president dies or resigns. Right. Which is kind of way late, especially if you think about all the presidents a that hun- died wasn't before Wasn't it almost then. 100 years? That's 126 years since. Later. Yeah. Yep. Yeah, that's crazy. And you think so? It was William Henry Harrison, then it was Abraham Lincoln, and right, yeah, right. there was a lot of them. Well, and like when you like when you really like look at the Constitution and what the Constitution says, and then you look at like the Bill of Rights and what they say, and then you realize that each of those amendments was made, you know, significantly longer, like a long time after the Constitution oh, was ratified. Right, like yeah. you're like. Wow, like those rights weren't really recognized until that amendment was right. I ratified. What saying. Well, because it was just they left it so vague, right, and then people right. were like, oh, "Okay, we have to be at least a yeah, little bit more specific yeah, yeah, here." Yeah, yeah. And so the Bill of Rights wasn't the founding fathers; it was, it's been you know congressional action since then, right. So, many called Tyler the accidental president, or his <laughs> accidency, was like his nickname, was his nickname. The oopsie president. Yeah, oopsie doopsies. <laughs> so, like an oopsie kid, like Ryan. <laughs> yeah. Harrison, right? yeah. <laughs> that's, for younger, that's for younger sister. Actually, Ryan, I think, was the only one that was planned. Oh. The rest of us were oopsie babies. Oh. <laughs> uh, Harrison and Tyler had run on the Whigs party ticket. Tyler was only chosen to run as Harrison's vice president because the Whigs hoped that he would get them the Southern vote. They really had no interest in Tyler ever becoming president. And the vice president had never taken over for president before. So right. they were just like, hey, you be vice president and be in this no job role. Right. When Tyler assumed... Like your backup is like if he's bedridden and he can't attend to his matters. Right. <laughs> so when Tyler assumed the role of the presidency, he found himself at increasing odds with Harrison's cabinet. Tyler decided to keep them all, but when Tyler vetoed bills that were designed to create a new national bank, all but the Secretary of State Daniel Webster resigned. Hmm. In September 1841, around 50 Whig Party congressmen gathered in front of the Capitol to denounce Tyler and strip him of his Whig Party membership. Oh no, I'm still president. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. (laughs) The only thing, though, is that it's like, if he wants to get anything through Congress, the Democrats don't like him because he ran on a Whig Party ticket. And the Whigs don't like him so much that they kicked him off of out of their party. Right. So they, he literally has no party to Great. like help him out. I love it. Yeah. I absolutely <laughs> love it. I had a I had a I got a text message this evening before, and uh, I hope he's listening right now. Um, but it's like one of those things where it's like, I think the president. You know, we don't want a president with. A party, a, party. Affili- a party affiliation. Right. You're the That's pre- my opinion. The president is supposed to be of the people, and he's supposed to represent everybody, and he's supposed to take care of everybody. He's not supposed to just take care of his party. Right. Right. And I understand people in New York electing their congresspersons and then using their electoral college votes to, to elect who they think they should be. It right. doesn't need to be Democratic or Republic. Right. Republican, it needs to be a state by state, like you know, like each state needs to kind of be their own party, in my opinion, because we 
each state is so unique. Well, and honestly, having two parties, it's just, I mean, it gets corrupt so fast. Mm-hmm. And you think about, like, also the such the large varieties of beliefs um, in each party, just because there's two. Yeah. Like, Democrats, Democrats are all over the place. Just yeah. the same as, I mean, Republicans, it seems like they're a little bit... They're starting to hone in a little bit more, but they're still very wide. Yeah. Wide ranging. Anyways, where I was going with that was uh, I was asked who I'm voting for in November, and I have yet to text him back because I'm trying to think of what I'm going to say. And I'm going to tell him that I prefer not to let him know who my vote's going to because that's my right as a citizen. It's your right. Remain a (laughs) Um. So, Tyler doesn't have a party anymore, and then protesters begin to show up at the White House to protest Tyler's presidency while throwing stones at the White House. Tyler then asked Congress to create a presidential police force to keep him protected, which was kind of the beginnings of the Secret Service. In 1842, a House committee chaired by John Quincy Adams, who had been president before... Because he, he was only president to then go into the Congress, right? Mm-hmm. Adam starts to investigate if Tyler had committed any impeachable offenses. Like, everybody really hates this guy, and they're just kind of trying to find anything to get him out. Throwing throwing all the claims at the wall and seeing what sticks. The committee ruled that Tyler deserved impeachment, but they never formally recommended it. Tyler knew that he was going to have to accomplish some pretty impressive tasks if he wanted to stay president and get a second term. Tyler signed the Preemption Act in 1841, which allowed American men to purchase up to 160 acres of public land from the government if they lived on it for at least 14 months and worked on improving the land for at least five years. In 1842, Tyler ended the Seminole War in Florida and signed the Webster-Ashburton Treaty. The Webster-Ashburton Treaty was created to resolve land disputes between the United States and Britain along the northern border, which we now share with Canada. Oh, yeah. Treaty also- There's some pretty famous battles up along that border. Yes. The treaty also created a partnership between the U.S. and Britain that was meant to abolish the African slave trade. So by this time, Britain had already abolished slavery in its whole empire. Right. America, we obviously still had slavery, mm-hmm. but you weren't allowed to bring new slaves over from Africa anymore. Just the ones that we got. You were Yeah, you were supposed to only just keep the slaves that were already in slavery in America. You know. And that was it. And not bring any new ones in. Jesus. So they agreed to help stop slave trade from Africa to America mm-hmm. and other countries. Though an agreement was reached, tensions between the United States and Britain remained high. Both Britain and the U.S. wanted to have the major influence of the recently independent Republic of Texas. Tyler was a Southerner and an advocate for slavery. Tyler believed that if he could get Texas annexed into the United States, it would become a slave-owning state. He didn't want to go to war with Britain or Mexico for Texas, so Tyler sought to increase the power of the military to intimidate other foreign powers from getting involved with Texas. Mm. Tyler began to search for a new Secretary of State that could help him with this, and he decided on Abel Parker So are his cabinet still empty from when everybody left? Well, he's got new people in. (laughs) He eventually filled that. And now the one guy that stayed, he's now gone, and Tyler now has his own Secretary of State. Nice. Well, not nice, because he's a... A slave advocate? Yeah. Yeah. So, before replacing Daniel Webster as Secretary of State, Upshur was the Secretary of the Navy. 
When he was the Secretary of the Navy, he took on reforming the Navy by finishing the building of several first-class warships, ordering the building of half a dozen sailboats, experimented with iron hulls, made plans to replace full-rigged warships with steam-powered ships, and encouraged young naval officers and inventors to bring him any ideas they had on improving the Navy's ships. His main goal, he was like, I want to get more strong officers Navy. trained. I want a strong, strong Navy. Navy. Like, yep. this is where, this is what we need. Sure. A steam-powered warship with an iron hull and submerged propeller named the USS Princeton began to be built under Upshur's guidance. Upshur's first assignment as Secretary of State was to get congressional support for the annexation of Texas, though he found a lot of resistance with northern though he found a lot of resistance with northern congressmen who saw the annexation as a move to get another slave state, which it was. Yes, absolutely. I mean and other congressmen... Even if he hasn't said it out loud, like, it's clear. And other congressmen that were okay with, like, the whole slave thing, they had problems with taking on Texas's war debt, because they just finished a war with Mexico. Right. Texas did. And they, just, and they also did not want to start a war with Mexico. Hmm. Then the British government offered Mexico $15 million for California, and also agreed to sell Mexico two of their steam-powered ships. Upshur and Tyler were worried that the ships would be used to reconquer Texas and sent a couple of America's own ships to the Gulf of Mexico to block British or Mexican ships from attacking Texas. No conflict ever occurred and America's ships returned back to the U.S. But still, tensions are still high. We still want Texas. Mm -hmm. Britain's looking like they're trying to move in. Then Upshur heard a rumor that the British government was offering Texas a low-interest loan to pay off their war debt. But Texas would have to abolish slavery first. If Texas became a slavery-free country, Upshur and Tyler were afraid that it would become a haven for runaway slaves in the South. Which would in turn hurt the economy of the South because their whole economy runs on slavery and Mm -hmm. that whole thing. Yeah, like Quite literally on the backs of free labor. Yes. Right. Upshur began Upshur began a campaign to convince the Texans to join the United States and to convince the American public and Congress that it was in America's best interest as well. For the public, Upshur wrote several anonymous articles that stated how dangerous Great Britain was, and if they got Texas, it would be very harmful to the United States. To convince Congress, Upshur met with each senator to try to sway them, and he had a lot of good rapport with them when he was the Secretary of the Navy. Mm-hmm. So, he's, you know, they don't like Tyler, but they like him. So, he's 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 getting there. When meeting with the Northern congressmen, he told them that even though Texas would be admitted as a slave state, once the Oregon Territory entered the Union, it would do so as a free state. So he's like, then it'll be balanced out. Mm. You don't have to worry about it. Mm-hmm. For the Texans, Upshur basically told them that if they sided with Great Britain in any way, that would be seen as an act of war by the United States. The Texan president, Sam Houston, agreed, but wanted assurances that the United States military would protect them if Mexico decided to attack. It was looking like Upshur was going to accomplish annexing Texas for Tyler. Like, he was getting the votes. He had this, like, chart in his office. He's like, okay, I've got two-thirds of the votes in mm-hmm. the Senate. Like, it's probably this a chalkboard at that time. Yeah, probably. Yeah. I got and, a whiteboard. I, get, I feel I'm the same way. Yeah. So as celebration for the hard work, Upshur was going to take the newly built USS Princeton warship on an excursion. 
There was to be around 400 guests aboard the ship made up of Washington, D.C. elite, including President Tyler. Where were they sleeping? <laughs> they're not They're not sleeping. It's, oh. like, a, it's like a day trip. <laughs> oh, it's like a, it's like a, a, a ball. Just like a... Yeah. Giant it's like flow. literally they get on in the morning then they get off in the afternoon <laughs> i was gonna say boy were they disappointed with the accommodations right yeah <laughs> i've never been in the navy but i've seen pictures yeah <laughs> so mexican general el monte would also be on the ship so upshur could show him the newest of the united states modern warcraft that could be used against mexico if they interfered with texas nice it was going to be a huge party with lots of food and wine as well so basically, he's going to whine and die in this Mexican general and be like, hey, do you see these big guns on this really nice new ship? Yeah, we're going to shoot you with them if you mess with Texas. Yeah. The Princeton- Just like a slight underhanded like... Oh, yeah. Hey, buddy. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> the Princeton's captain, Robert Stockton, had worked closely with the designer of the ship on not only the engine and propeller but the guns and the gun mount mechanisms as well. The USS Princeton was christened with a bottle of American whiskey in September 1843 after it taking two years to be built and was officially the deadliest ship in the world. Yeah, I just love that they used just a bottle of whiskey instead of champagne. They're like, this is America. (laughs) (laughs) We don't use champagne, none of that French stuff. (laughs) Oh... (laughs) <laughs> the ships had uh, the ship had 12 carronades, which are guns with short barrels and large bores that are used for close ship-to-ship combat. Hmm. The ship also had two of the largest guns ever mounted on a ship. One was named the Oregon, which had a 12-inch bore. Oh, the other was the Peacemaker, which weighed 10 tons and had a 15-inch in- bore <laughs> the peacemaker. and was 15 feet long. <laughs> Jeez. 15 inch bore and 15 15, inches long. 15 feet long. Or 15 feet long. Yeah. 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 Jeez. It's like, I just think of that, that name, like the peacemaker. It's like the judge. Yeah. No, that's exactly (laughs) what it, what it's like. Anyways, I love it. It, Love slash hate it. (laughs) So, um, the Oregon gun was made by this like ship designer, ship inventor, who's like really into this stuff. And then engineer. So then the yeah. So then the captain he saw the Oregon and he was like, I like that gun, but I want one bigger. And he's the one that create the designed the peacemaker. Yeah. And I'm pretty sure he's the one that gave it the name too. Yeah. Yeah. And he was like, I like it, but make it bigger. Yeah. So, both guns had range monitors and elevation gauges that were calibrated to the ship's motion and could shoot cannonballs that weighed over 200 pounds accurately at a distance of 5 miles. Wow. When the cannonballs impacted their target, they could penetrate up to 6 feet of oak timber or 4 inches of wrought iron. The organ had been tested by being fired around 200 times with gunpowder charges of up to 35 pounds. The organ developed cracks. So much powder. So much powder. <laughs> the organ developed cracks from its barrel to its mounts on either side of the barrel's back end. The cracks were mended, and the gun held up in later firings. The peacemaker was never tested. <laughs> they were like, "We're terrified to try this thing so, out." This little one. We're gonna call the little one. Even though it's huge. Even though it's still twelve inches around. Yeah. So this one was crazy. <laughs> We're just going to leave this one for later. We're just going to put it on the ship and just cross (laughs) our fingers. (laughs) 
I should say 12 inches in diameter. 12, yeah, it's 12 inches in diameter. That's just uh, insane. Yeah. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> well, this one cracked. Yeah. It, so we're just going to leave the bigger it, one about, for later. When we shot it, it about flew off the deck. So. Yeah. <laughs> On February 28th, 1844, the 400 guests boarded the USS Princeton to celebrate Upshur and the upcoming annexation of Texas. Some of the notable guests that weren't mentioned that I didn't mention before were First Lady Dolly Madison, mm. Senator David Gardner, and his daughters, Margaret and Julia. President Tyler had been introduced to 23-year-old Julia at the White House in January of 1842. Uh-oh. When Tyler's wife, Letitia, died on September 10th, 1842, Tyler began to pursue a romantic interest in Julia. Wait, I thought you said First Lady... Dolly oh so she was like a previous first lady yeah you said yeah Dolly Madison yeah Yeah. Tyler began okay so Tyler began to pursue a romantic interest in Julia Tyler kept proposing to Julia the first time being only five months after (laughs) Letitia died but Julia kept turning him down she kept saying you're too old for me but he was the youngest president yeah but he's still 30 years older than her yeah and he has, like, eight kids of his own, and she actually was going to, she like, the reason she met him was she was thinking that she might start dating Tyler's son, mm. who's, like, her same age. <laughs> and then Tyler was like, no, son, back off. I want her for me. <laughs> Anyways. After boarding all the <laughs> after boarding all the passengers, the USS Princeton headed down the Potomac towards Mount Vernon. Once they hit wide water around mid-afternoon, everyone gathered onto the deck to watch the firing of the peacemaker. The gun fired perfectly, and the crowd applauded and gave shouts of congratulations. That's the first time it had ever been fired. First time it had ever been fired, and it went off great. It was super loud. They said, like, women covered their ears, and the men were like, woohoo! Yeah. <laughs> that was awesome! Yeah. Drink, just chugging bottles of whiskey. Yeah, exactly. They said there was, like, smoke everywhere because it's a huge cannon. Yeah. If the Oregon had 35-pound block powder charges, mm-hmm. think of how much that one had to have. Yeah. Like 50? Probably something close to that. Yeah. Um. So everybody is like, woohoo, it worked. It was awesome. And then they mm. all go down below deck to go have some lunch. <laughs> There wasn't enough room at the tables to seat all of the guests, so the ladies ate first while the men talked and drank. And then once the women got done eating, everyone was like, hey, let's go watch it again. And they went back up onto the deck to watch the The men are like, we've been talking about it while you guys have been eating. (laughs) They've been like, the men have been drinking wine and have been like cheersing each other. Like, you know what? We should go do that again. Let's do it again. Ladies are like, don't you want to eat first? They're like, no, we got to go see this again. (laughs) If you've ever been to a party and that that ever happens, like, you know, the dudes just aren't interested in eating at that point. Well, by this point, I think they're already like too buzzed to really want to eat. Fourth of July, like I don't. Eat. People talk about barbecue on the Fourth of July. Like I hardly ever eat on the Fourth of July. I'm more concerned with the fireworks than yeah. I am eating. Fireworks and talking and yeah. hanging out with people. Yeah. So one of the guests on the ship remarked that the cannonball skipped off the frozen river at least seven times before <laughs> it finally sank, while other guests thought it bounced more around fifteen times. Oh, so it's just like skipping across the river, the frozen river. So, second time, fires. It went great. Everybody's like, mm-hmm. woo! And then they go... Wait, you keep saying 
you said it was a sad one, and I keep waiting now. And oh, just, yeah. Yeah. So third time? <laughs> taking it the I mean, third time? I mean, who knows how long this episode's going to be. <laughs> so everyone goes back down below deck, and the men finally eat while the women drink. And so now everybody's hammered. And the women are like... Let's do it again. <laughs> so with the wine flowing, toasts are starting to happen all over the place. Like, oh. everybody's toasting each other. Oh. Captain Stockton toasted the president, and then Tyler raised his glass for a toast and said, To the three big guns, the Peacemaker, the Oregon, and Captain Stockton. And everybody went, woo! And then the <laughs> Marine band began playing, and everybody was, like, dancing and having yeah. a great time. yeah. yeah. So while everyone was partying, Navy Secretary Gilmer approached Captain Stockton and asked if they could fire the Peacemaker one more time while they floated by <laughs> Mount Vernon as a salute to George Washington. Like, you're the you're the Secretary of the Navy asking the captain of the ship. Like, you don't ask him. No, you you tell him. Well, I think he's a little... I think that's kind of... I think he more told him. Yeah. Because Stockton later said he was like, well, I didn't really want to, but it was like the Secretary... Of yeah, the yeah, Navy. yeah. Like, yeah so that's one thing. Like, like, that's one thing. Too. is like somebody who... Like, if you're in high ranking in the military, you don't ask people if you can do yeah. things. Like... Because they're going to say yes. Like, they're never going to tell you no. The Navy secretary, he's also a little buzzed. He's like, let's just do it one more time, man. But, like, for George Washington. Yeah, Captain Stockton, (laughs) come on. Listen, this, now, sober face, sober face. Captain Stockton, for George Washington, we got to do it one more. One more time. One more time. One more time. (laughs) For George Washington. Yeah. So Stockton ordered the Peacemaker to be primed one more time. When the Peacemaker was ready to be fired, Stockton asked Gilmer to make a toast, to which Gilmer raised his glass and said, To fair trade and sailors' rights. He said Gilmer was not a great toastmaker. Because <laughs> that's all this was. That's the Navy Secretary. Maybe, maybe, no, that was the Navy Secretary? Yeah. What about it being for George Washington? I mean, that would have been the one that makes sense. He's like, to George Washington. And then yeah. they all go up and Yeah, and everybody would be like, ah! I think that's kind of what Stockton was hoping for. <laughs> and then Gilmer just kind of dropped the ball. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, to fair trade and sailors' rights, I mean, like, it's not a bad toast. No, yeah. Not what he told so, Kamsak. Yeah. So the ladies are like, we've already seen it twice. Yeah. We're gonna stay here with the wine and the food mm-hmm. and so a few dozen men go up and they're like we're gonna watch it again because yeah, yeah. it was super cool yeah. so they make their way back to the deck to watch the peacemaker shot again there are several differing accounts on whether president tyler was on deck getting ready for the third firing or not some say he went up on deck but then went back below to speak with someone about important business others say he never went up so that he could stay to listen to one of his favorite songs or that he stayed below to spend to spend more time with julia either way tyler ended up below deck before the cannon fired its third time (laughs) stockton went behind the peacemaker and made sure it was aiming in the general direction of mount vernon he pulled the cord, the fuse ignited, and then the peacemaker blew up out its side. A congressman watching the explosion said everything was completely enveloped in smoke for some moments, the smoke being infinitely greater on deck than at any time before. He was surprised to see about a dozen hats floating on the river and didn't realize that the gun had exploded until he started hearing other passengers yelling. When the smoke cleared, he said he was astonished to find every man between I and the gun was laying prostrate on the deck, 
and about 30 or 40 men lying in heaps indiscriminately and promiscuously round the gun, either killed, wounded, or knocked down and stunned by the concussion. Wow. So, the peacemaker had gotten a crack and mm. literally had exploded out of its side. Mm. Everyone was screaming. There were three dead bodies laying on the deck, blackened, that belonged to Navy Secretary Gilmer, Uh-oh. Secretary of State Abel Upshur, and Senator David Gardner. They had all been killed when a chunk of wrought iron that weighed around a ton had been shot out the side of the cannon. 2,000 pounds. Mm-hmm. Hmm. A diplomat named Virgil Maxey had lost both arms and a leg. When sailors tried to pick him up, his body literally just fell apart. Wow. Captain Stockton's face and hands were burnt, and he had a piece of shrapnel go through one of his legs. He was carried to his cabin, and his wounds were treated. When Julia Gardner heard of her father's death, she fainted. Lieutenant McLaughlin took command of the ship and got the ship to Alexandria. When they arrived, President Tyler carried Julia down the gangplank. Julia later recalled, I fainted and did not revive until someone was carrying me off the boat, and I struggled so that I almost knocked us both off the gangplank. I did not know at the time, but I learned later it was the president whose life I almost consigned to the water. The bodies of five men that died were Mm. kept on board the Princeton that night, and the next morning they were taken to Washington, D.C. by steamship, where they were then loaded on hearses and had a procession towards the White House, and their bodies were laid in the East Room covered in flags. Mm. So these men were Navy Secretary, Secretary of State, diplomats, really important Mm -hmm. guys. There were also sailors that died, but they Mm. didn't get this. Treatment. Treatment. And I don't know exactly how many died. I also know that one woman died who was the U.S. Postmaster General's daughter. Oh. She was like the one woman that went up to watch it again. Probably, yeah. Crowds poured into D.C. to pay their respects to the dead. With his Secretary of State gone, Tyler appointed John C. Calhoun as his new Secretary of State. The annexation bill passed the House of Representatives, but without without upsure, it did not get Senate approval. Mm. which is like crazy so he's like you guys we're gonna do it and then he has this party to celebrate Mm. it and then he dies and then it doesn't happen Uh president tyler forgave almost like a dying wish maybe should have been honored yeah maybe like people should have just voted for it (laughs) i think they were like without this guy we can't really trust what he promised us yeah to to happen yeah sure so president tyler forgave captain stockton of the accident A lot of people blamed him. They're like, hey, you're the one that designed this gun. You're the one that shot the gun. So they blamed blamed Stockton? Mm Mm-hmm. Oh, because he was the one that said, I want that, but bigger. Yeah, exactly. Well, I mean. But Tyler forgave him and wrote to Congress that the incident must be set down as one of the casualties which, to a greater or lesser degree, attend upon every service and which are invariably incident to the temporal affairs of mankind. Basically saying it was an accident. Mm-hmm. No one meant for it to happen. Yeah. Yeah. Like one of the things I've seen about it's like, they probably should have tested the gun out. Yeah. Like. Mm. Maybe they should have tested the big gun. <laughs> yeah. Out. yeah. The one that was non-standard. Yeah. The, oh, really? It failed? That's Weird. the only one of its kind. Yeah. Yeah. Nothing really happened to Stockton. Because Tyler wrote this letter. Mm -hmm. Um, But Commodore Crane, who was the chief of the Navy's Bureau of Ordnance and Hydrography, 
and was in charge of overseeing Navy weaponry, committed suicide by slitting his throat in his office two years later. Some think because he blamed himself for what happened that day. Hmm. Those that say that he was the last death that can be attributed to the Princeton. Yep. Julia Gardner began to feel differently about President John Tyler after losing her father that day on the Princeton. Julia said, After I lost my father, Tyler seemed to fill the place and to be more agreeable in every way than any younger man ever was or could be. A few weeks later, Tyler proposed to Julia again, and this time she accepted. Hmm. Because she doesn't have a dad anymore? Is it because he carried her off the ship? I don't know. But she finally accepted. Mm-hmm. Maybe she was just tired. Yeah. She just couldn't. She was tired of saying no. Well, well, and just think about her like grieving. Yeah. Too. I mean, she, she probably is so emotionally and physically exhausted at this point. Like, you probably took a little bit of advantage of that. Yeah, I think know? so. I mean, I'd, I'd probably say he absolutely took advantage of that. Yeah. <laughs> But I'd imagine for her, it was one of those things where he was, like, familiar. He was the familiar one, you know? Right. Like the easy the easy one. Right. So they were married, um, and President Tyler became the first president to ever get married while in office. Julia started the tradition of Hail to the Chief being played whenever a president appears at a state function. She loved to host parties. When Tyler began to say, well, now I'm not the only president without a party, because she would just toast parties, and everybody Mm. would just get super drunk on champagne at her parties. And she actually introduced the polka to Washington, D.C., where it quickly turned into a national phenomenon. Hmm. Since he no longer belonged to the Whig Party, Tyler tried running for a second term as president as a third-party candidate, but he never got enough support, and he dropped out. Hmm. Democrat James Polk became the next president and had Texas annexed into the United States during his first year of office. Annexed. Annexed. Yeah. What did I say? Something not that. Annexed. Mm, Sorry. (laughs) You said it earlier and I was like, does she mean annexed? That's exactly what I mean. (laughs) I wasn't going to stop you though. Sorry to bring it up now. Like, That's know. all right. Now, if anybody was confused about what I'm saying, at is the, that yeah. word? <laughs> yeah. At the what do they call it at the at the ninth hour? Yeah. <laughs> uh, I don't. Hopefully, I don't think I say that word anymore. So, Julianne Tyler moved. Well, I'm to, glad I got it in there. Yeah, me too. <laughs> we got that fixed. <laughs> Julianne Tyler moved to Tyler's Virginia plantation named Sherwood Forest where they had seven children, which brought Tyler's total number of children to 15. Oh, jeez. When Virginia seceded from the Union, Tyler was elected to represent Virginia in the Confederate Congress, but he died on January 18, 1862, before taking his seat. Because he was seen as a traitor to the Union, neither President Abraham Lincoln nor the U.S. government publicly acknowledged Tyler's death. Oh. Yeah. He so didn't. he didn't get, like, a presidential... Nope. He didn't get, like, the procession. He didn't get to lay in, you know, the rotunda or anything. He, they just ignored his death. Hmm. Where are most presidents buried? I think it just depends on the president. There's not, like, a presidential graveyard? No. Because I know, I do know that Arlington wasn't yet created. Right. 
And if you want to find out about how soon Arlington was created after Tyler's death, you should go listen Real to <laughs> A Graveyard of Revenge, because it is an awesome episode. <laughs> Sorry, yeah. same shameless plug. Yeah, spoiler alert, Arlington was Robert E. Lee's home. Yeah. So that is the story of the USS Princeton killing a whole bunch of really important people yeah. during a party. Yeah. Um, also, pretty much the um, how polka got introduced to America in a roundabout way. Let's talk about the real. That's really what I was getting at. Yeah. Thank you, Julia. Yeah. <laughs> Gardner. You're a saint. So the sources for this story were DC Disaster Concluded in a Romance by Lawrence L. Knutson. From Peacemaker to Widowmaker, Remember the USS Princeton Disaster by John Kelly. Ooh. Somebody was having fun with a play on words there. <laughs> and Explosion on the Potomac by Carrie Walters. And that's actually a book that's all about the incident. And that's where I got most of my information. Nice. All right. Which president had a mockingbird named Dick? You get one more chance. Uh, I'm done with my guesses. Okay. It was Thomas Jefferson. Oh, TJ. Yep. Uh, The bird would hang out on his shoulder, and Thomas Jefferson would feed it food by putting it in his mouth and then, like, kissing the bird. Or, like, baby... Not baby birding it because he didn't, like, throw it back up. (laughs) But he, like, yeah, the bird would eat food out of Thomas Jefferson's mouth. Yeah, yeah. So that's a really cool thing (laughs) that he did. (laughs) I think... Him and I would get along great. I yeah. love doing that with Texas. <laughs> and by the way, for anybody who doesn't know, Texas is our dog. <laughs> We're Texas. So I'm sure it's a lot messier than it even was with the bird. Yeah. Also, Texas is pretty good about like, like getting it, you know, it. But I feel like a bird, like those sharp little lips. Yeah. And beak. Yeah, they just like, yeah, bite your lips. Yeah. Oh. Probably really calloused lips. He had some tough lips. <laughs> it's another fact that we he's now a, know about Thomas Jefferson. He's a tough-lipped some bitch. Yeah. <laughs> uh, if you like this episode, we just ask that you subscribe so you never miss an episode and tell somebody that you think would like it yeah. to listen. Like my good friend, Boo, who I was talking about earlier. Thanks, Boo, for listening. I appreciate you, bud. We just hope that everybody has a great Labor Day weekend and you stay safe. Stay healthy. And until next time, stay stay weird, weird, America. America.